Morning again. We got work on that. Good morning. All right. Yeah, there we go. All right. Well, it is in Christ alone that we stand, is it not? And as we come to His Word in Romans chapter 10, we're going to uh, look at verses 11 through 17. We're going to focus really on verses 14 through 17, but I wanted to get a running start. So uh, I'm going to start in verse 11 of Romans chapter 10. Apostle Paul writes under divine inspiration, quoting the divine scripture, and he says, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. They have not all obeyed the gospel. Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Not too many people would associate these two words together, beautiful and feet, Uh, as I can tell looking at some of your faces. Yeah, usually when we speak of feet, the adjectives of gross or stinky or sweaty come to mind, or fungus ingrown. Those are the adjectives usually that swirl around feet. The only, only time that I hear feet talk, talk, or spoken of in a uh, positive light is baby feet. Oh, we love the baby feet, right? You know, new babies come and we just like to look at their little nugget toes and, you know, <laughs> we love baby feet. Well, the scripture is not talking about baby feet. Or someone who's recently received the finest of pedicure or gotten their nose, or their nose painted, their toes painted. <laughs> they might have had their toe, nose painted too, but, uh, you know, they're, they're not talking about those type of feet. No, these beautiful feet that the Scripture is referring to are likely dirty, likely worn. If you were to look at the bottoms of them, they would be calloused. These feet are beautiful not because of their appearance, but because of what they carry. These are busy feet, feet that are carrying the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth, to difficult places, to to foreign lands, to the unknown world across the street. These feet know no boundaries because the news they carry is that everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. These feet are beautiful because the person that these feet carry brings good news for the recipient. These feet carry a person whose demeanor and message and everything that exudes about them are attractive. 
They're welcoming. They bring a message that says you will not have shame, and they come and cover the shame. We heard that even in the testimony that Shay was sharing about this woman who was drowning in the, in the floods of sin, and they, they were beautiful feet to her, weren't they? They said, guess what? We have good news. You don't have to live in shame any longer if you come to Christ. These feet bring the announcement that the one true God over all creation is the creator of every human being, and he is ready to bestow his riches. I mean, just think of that picture. Bestow his riches upon all who call upon him. What are these riches? These these riches are the riches of his patience, riches of his kindness, the riches of his forbearance which delivers them from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. That delivers people from the bondage of sin and death. Because everyone is made in God's image, no one is to be overlooked. We see that here in verse 12. He says there's no distinction. We concluded last Sunday looking at that. But there's no distinction that God makes. His, his salvation knows no bounds. There aren't any peoples that are excluded. No one is beyond his reach. And so this includes the most vile of us sinners, and even the most pious among the religious. Those in systemic poverty and those who trust in the riches. The uneducated and the elite professor the illegal immigrant, and the upstanding citizen, the public school child and the homeschool child, the liberal and the conservative. Paul calls it the Jew and the Greek, black or white, Asian, Hispanic, Russian, African. This message resounding from these feet is that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Doesn't matter what category you're in. So here's the question for us. Is that the message we're sharing? Is that the message we're sharing both in word and in deed? And I think if we were to take a self-inventory, I think some of us say, oh yeah, that's the message I, I, I share in word my life may not be showing it through deed. Or you might be on the opposite side. No, that's what I'm trying to communicate through my deed, but some of you aren't willing to speak it in word. And what we're going to see is that both of these must take place in order to have beautiful feet that Paul's talking about here. The question I have for us is that when people come in contact with us, do they say, how beautiful are the feet of those at Oak Park Baptist Church? And if not, why not? We need to think of that corporately, and you need to think of that individually. If that is not what people would be saying, why not? Out in the lobby, you will see on the wall, and the same is true down the hallway right in front of the church offices, our mission statement. It says, loving Jesus, loving people, helping people love Jesus. And, and there will be 
four avenues or core values, we call them, help us facilitate that. Worship, community, discipleship, and mission. And that mission, we have definitions for all these. That mission is declaring the gospel of Jesus by the Holy Spirit's power among all peoples for his glory. All peoples is what I want us to focus on this morning. And this is what I want to ask. Is that true? Is that really our core value? Or is that just something that the pastors came up with? But it's really not true. Is that something we say, yes, I believe that mission. I believe that is our mission given by the Lord Jesus Christ to take the gospel by the Holy Spirit's power among all peoples. I believe that. I want that to be true. Well, I trust that that would be our core value. And if you're not there, I invite you to be there with us. And so to that end, I want us to take a closer look at Romans chapter 10. And, and we're going to see the necessity for gospel proclamation and the practice of gospel proclamation. And the first part is kind of going to be more just principle, the necessity of it. Why, why do we need to be involved in this business of mission? And then I want to look at the practice of gospel proclamation for us. And this is going to be very practical, very tangible ways to stir up your mind and how you can be one who ministers both in word and deed. So let's look at the necessity of gospel proclamation. In verse 13, Paul quotes Joel 2.32, and he says, for, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Paul is announcing this great news. He's explaining that Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises that Joel foresaw. A day is coming where when you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And now we know who it. his name is. His name is Jesus. And he is the Lord. And so whoever calls upon this name will be saved. What does that look like? Well, in verse 9 of chapter 10, we see what that looks like. If you confess with your mouth, what? That Jesus is Lord. You're associating that name with the Lord. Jesus is Lord. And that means that you believe that Jesus is the creator. He is the God of all the universe. And you are confessing that with a bended knee, submitting your life to him as your God. But as we get into verses 14 through 17, Paul expounds upon the elements required for someone to call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. Maybe you haven't thought of it that way. You know, we think of salvation, we pray, Lord, please save people. And by that, we want them to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. But have you considered the elements, the steps that must take place to get to that point? It doesn't just happen by accident, Paul says. No, number one... They must believe the gospel of Jesus. You see that at the very beginning of verse 14. If someone's going to call upon Jesus to save them, that is, again, to publicly confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, well, first, they're not going to confess that if they don't believe it. They're not going to confess publicly and tell everybody, I'm on Team Jesus, I'm getting baptized at Oak Park Baptist Church, or I'm getting baptized at Refuge Church in Charlestown, 
unless they actually believe it. Otherwise, why would they do it? This is what Paul is getting at. He says, verse 14, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? Maybe this is the reason you haven't confessed Jesus as Lord. I know there must be some people here who you're, you're, maybe you're, you're seeking, maybe you're looking, maybe you're contemplating, and in your heart you're like, I, I, might, I might be on board with this Jesus thing. But really, you haven't yet confessed. You haven't come forward. You haven't said, I'm going to follow him through the waters of baptism and declare my allegiance to his lordship in my life. And, and maybe the reason you haven't come forward is because you don't really believe. You don't believe that Jesus is the one true God who became a man, the perfect man, to bear your sin on the cross, defeating death by the resurrection. So you have to place your trust in his sacrifice on the cross for your personal sins. That is your refusal to submit to him as Lord of your life. Your refusal to worship him as the God of creation, the one and only God, and that his name is Jesus. And there is no other way. That is our sin. And we must turn from that sin and confess, believe that he died on the cross for my sins, rose again in victory, and as Lord, and I confess that. I believe that. Only then will one dare to publicly confess the truth or their allegiance, right? But if they must believe in order to confess, there's, a, there's something else that must occur. They must also hear about Jesus. You see that. He goes on. And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? If someone is going to call upon Jesus, they must believe. And if they're going to believe, they must have heard about him. This is one of the most clear statements in all of Scripture that those who do not hear the gospel will not be saved. You do realize that, right? Some people think, well, it won't be fair. They come up with this imaginary person on an island. And what if they're, they're there and, and they never hear? Well, one, that person doesn't really exist. Tom Hanks in that movie, that was fake. And he didn't just get born there. He got dropped off. But even if so, Paul would say, unless they hear, they cannot believe. And if they don't believe, they will not call upon him and be saved. And the truth is, everyone's born on the island. The so-called island of separation between man and God. The island is engulfed in the wealth of sin. And it's not just an island by which they do whatever they want. They are enslaved to sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And unless they hear the message, there is no opportunity. No opportunity. Or, el or else, what is this all about? Just don't share the gospel with anybody, right? I mean, that, that's kind of how you get around that, if that's true. Just, hey, let's just keep this thing secret. Ignorance is bliss, and everybody ends up going to heaven. That's not the message of the gospel. That's not the message of Scripture. The message is, you are in deep trouble. I mean, I'm getting off my notes here, but it's okay. 
Do you want your doctor functioning like that? Yeah, I'm just not going to tell him I got cancer. Ignorance is bliss. They'll get another shot. No, they won't. And here's the thing that the Bible says everybody's infected with an eternal damning disease, and it's called sin. And the only antidote is the gospel. It's the only antidote. Not ignorance, not another religion, not being a good person. No, everybody's infected, and that is why we must go. This is what we saw in Romans 1, right? The whole creation screams that we're accountable to a creator. But here's the deal. That general revelation just leaves you without excuse. So even if you're born on an island, the island declares you're accountable to a, a holy and righteous God. And even by yourself, you'd figure out how to not submit to him. Because you're infected. And so Paul says they must hear the gospel. They must hear specifics. They must hear about the person and work of Jesus in order to believe what he has done on their behalf so that they may confess their allegiance to him. That's the logic he's putting in here. So if they hear the gospel, or if they must hear the gospel in order to believe and confess, then they must have another element. They must hear it from somebody, Right? No, this isn't going to just come off with a, a plane that, that, that does the smoke letters and, and, and the gospel's just laid out there for them. No, they must have, Paul says, verse 14, a preacher. A preacher. And preaching is emphasized here as the means by which God's message is sent out. And he's highlighting a particular means here, and I don't want us to, to miss that. There is something substantial about what's going on right now, even though we don't understand it. And I hope to unpack it a little bit. If you think about the Apostle Paul, his ministry was primarily of preaching in settings. He even found in, in Athens a, a, a lecture hall by which he would establish a, a pulpit and he would preach. Okay, Preaching has a, a particular means by which God is pleased to save people. However, that doesn't mean it's the only means. Okay, that's what I want us to see. But it is a, a primary means. I want to help us see that. My role as the preacher, that's kind of what the, uh, some of our more mature saints call me. Here's our preacher. And there's something appropriate there. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> and my role as the preacher is this. It's twofold. There, there's probably more here, but at least, at the minimum, it's these two things. Fulfill the, these two purposes. Number one, to provide a consistent location where the word of Christ is proclaimed and God's people are strengthened in the gospel. That's what happens here. Now, if you've been with us on this journey in, through Romans, you might not think, oh, Romans is the gospel. Actually, it is. It's Paul's exposition of the whole gospel. And he even says that to them. He says, I'm coming that I may strengthen you. How? Through preaching the gospel to you who are in Rome. That's what he says. Romans chapter 1, look in verses 10 through 15. He says the same thing at the end of the book. And I am making a little bit of a case for preaching, just so you know. 
He concludes everything that he said, now to him, 1625, who is able to what? Strengthen you. According to what? My gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. So what is Romans? Romans is, it is a letter, but it is the compilation of, of, of much of what he preaches. So when people say, oh, the gospel, it is basic, it is simple. There are basic elements, but you don't end there. And the church doesn't just stay there in, indefinitely. The church must build and grow and be strengthened and explore this great jewel that is known as the gospel. And that happens through preaching. So our preaching must preach the whole counsel of God, not just the snippets that are just the bare bottom, the milk, as Hebrews might say, when many of you should be eating meat. That's number one. The second reason is to provide a place where God's people may bring unbelievers to hear the gospel and see the transformation of the gospel in our lives. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want this to be a place that you know the Bible is going to be preached, the gospel is going to be sung, it's going to be lived out, it's going to be heard, it's going to be communicated, and that the person I'm ministering to when I come here are going to see not just a consistent message, but they're going to see it in a greater way. That's what happens through the pulpit, through preaching. And so my preaching, my role in this mission is to equip you to go out and share the message and then you bring people here to hear it or confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and be do that through the waters of baptism. But not just do they need a preacher, but a preacher must be sent. Look in verses 15 and 16. God says they must be sent. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And he quotes Isaiah. Well, let me say God has sent preachers. And he is sending preachers preachers. I'm an example of one. Shay is an example of one. And what he was talking about, preachers are being sent. And we see that God has sent preachers because churches are established. And this is where I want to help us maybe understand our, where our ecclesiology, that is our understanding of what the church is, and our evangelism meet. They're not two separate things. And people often get frustrated because they're like, man, the church just doesn't get evangelism. I could do so much more without the church. That's not really true, because are you really doing evangelism then? They feed each other. It becomes a cumulative effort that is unstoppable force, which the gates of Hades will not prevail. Jesus doesn't say, I will build your kingdom or your ministry or your, your, your avenues of gospel proclamation. No, he says, I'm going to build my church. And so he has done this. And this is Paul's point. We're going to explore it next Sunday at a little more depth of theology. Today's more practical. But what he's saying is preachers have been sent, hence your church exists. Okay? That's where preaching happens. Your churches are out there. Now, now think, what did Jesus come to do? He established a church. Acts chapter 2, what happens? The church is birthed. And what happens out of that? It spreads. 
And there are churches all over the globe now. All over the world where before, if you wanted to hear the word of God, you had to travel to Jerusalem and enter the temple and go through the sacrificial system. And you had to do all that. That's all changed now. And so this is why missions is actually church planting. And evangelism is the establishing of churches where people are baptized and taught all that Jesus commanded them. Churches are established when people evangelize by teaching others the gospel with the aim of persuading them to believe. So that looks different. We're an established church. Preaching has been established. That doesn't mean we don't keep evangelizing, but it looks differently than where you guys were, what, three years ago, right? And you're learning, oh, that, that looks differently now. But you're taking new territory. Churches, think of them like little heavenly embassies put on, on foreign territory. And they radiate a light. And so it's not as if the word isn't going out. It is. It's going out everywhere. As churches are getting plopped up everywhere. Where do we go on missions? Where there are no churches. So if you're thinking about missions, you're thinking, really, you might not be the preacher, but what you're looking for is to establish a church where the word may be preached. And that's how evangelism happens. Paul concludes his point, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's a profound statement which we don't have time to unpack. The power, as he's saying, it comes through the word, the message of Christ. And right now, as we're expounding upon it, he is working in us, and it is working in you, reverberating in various ways and capacities you're not even aware of, so that you become messengers of that gospel out in the community. This can't happen without the church. Evangelism does not happen without the church. Evangelism is just church planting. Or you've got a church and you're continuing the mission. But there's a preaching center to it. And the preaching of God's word becomes that flame, that fuel that stokes the fire of evangelism and the light that goes out of that church. When this Bible is closed in the church, that lampstand is put out. That's what happens. But where the word of God is rightly handled, rightly preached, there will be evangelism that happens. So what does that look like for us? Let's, that's the necessity of gospel proclamation. My, my, what I want you to hear is without that word going out, there's no hope. Okay, And if you don't feel that burden in your heart, well, everything I'm about to say is worthless. It's, it really is. It's worthless if you do not feel the necessity of gospel proclamation and want to support that in whatever way God has made, allowed you. Maybe your first step this morning, before I get into some of the practical things, is just to pray, God, give me a burden. Because here's what I know. If you start praying that, He'll not only give you a burden, but He'll give you an outlet. 
to begin working in you. If you seriously start praying, even if your heart is cold, to the, although if your heart is cold to the gospel, we've got maybe bigger problems. Maybe we're trying to evangelize you. But even if you're like, I struggle, I, 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 don't, I don't weep over the lost like I know I should. I, just start praying, Lord, I desire to desire these things. And then what I hope is you'll see, oh, and God, through established church, has provided means to multiply the gospel in a way that you could never do by yourself. Or even as one type of people group. One of the things that I love hearing when people visit, oh my, there's people from, they're old all the way to people who are young. Everything in between. And some think that's a hindrance to the gospel because you can't move quick. Can't do the real stuff. Well, I would venture to say this is the real stuff. Where people are being saved and God is being worshipped. That's the goal. So thinking about the universal implications of the gospel, I want us to look at the practice of gospel proclamation for the rest of our time. And I want us to see, notice in verse 12, there is no distinction. Think this way. And there is no distinction that God makes between peoples. The salvation, this message, this gospel goes to everybody. So if that is the case, our church, Oak Park Baptist Church, should be actively seeking to reach all types of people in our area. That's the mission. Take the gospel to where it is not, right? Right? Okay. Thank you, Chris Tyler. <laughs> and so to accomplish this task, this is what I want to appeal to us. And I, I got a little fiery last Sunday, and so I apologize. My, my pastoral love is coming through. I get fiery because I'm, I'm yelling at myself, just so you know. But we're going to have to learn to sacrifice our preferences, our time, and our resources. And that is including every single person in this room. Even if you think, amen, brother, keep saying, I'm talking to you. And I'm talking to me. Because it's not going to look just like you think it does. It's going to be very eclectic. It's not going to look one way. And I'm, I'm hoping to show you various capacities by which this happens. It's going to require that we are intentional to bring the gospel to those who are not like us. And I think we get that on a global scale, right? Leah Cox is going to Kenya. Why? Because there are places in Kenya that don't have churches and need the gospel. Why Caitlin's going to go to the Arabic world? If I can say that right. I guess so. <laughs> Why? Because there are no churches. And why there are no churches? Because there are no believers. But where I think we all struggle, including myself, is to intentionally go to people different than us in our own city. We're content. And looking at our particular church, I think we struggle here just by the virtue of your makeup. You get a, a certain multiplicity of, of one type of people. Now, yes, we are different in age demographic, but I would say socioeconomically we're, we're in a certain range. And, I, and I'm not asking us to feel guilty about that. That's a blessing from God. The question is, do we use it to bless others? That's, that's the only question. 
So we shouldn't be ashamed of who's in the room or what ministry God has done. By no means. It's just now, all right, how do we use what God is doing and currently doing to continue to bring that blessing to a specific new people? And for us, I think that has to do with people who are poorer than us. I'm not saying exclude what we're doing. I'm just saying be aware of it. I hope to help us here. And we need to realize that we have many great privileges. Education. The fact that you have a high school education. You can read. And we go all the way up to terminal degrees here. Those are blessings. Those are not curses. Those are blessings. We have intact families. That's a privilege. We have financial stability, even if you don't feel like you do. You have clothes today, you're eating today, you have financial stability that other people do not. And the Lord has given us these resources so that we can use them to reach others who don't. This is exactly what Jesus did, right? Who though being in the form of God, not equate, he did not make use of that divinity. He did not make it a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He used his privileges to serve others. So how do we do that? Well, locally. I want to start locally, domestically, then globally. Locally. And this is where I'm going to spend most of my time, and the other ones are a little quicker. The mission starts here in the city of Jeffersonville. That's where we live. That's where I live. I'm zoned to. My kids would go to Jeff High. So Jeffersonville's kind of big, right? It's a very eclectic town. So everywhere you go, you go on this side of the street, you've got a certain economic um, um, demographic, you just go right behind us and it's a lot different. And I'm looking at faces in, in the neighborhood. It's not one pie. It's very different. And our church should reflect that. If we're reaching and doing the gospel and, and preaching it and, and, and trying to minister to all people. But we also are seeing that the Lord's bringing us people from New Albany, Sellersburg, and Charlestown. And I want to say, we do not despise that reach. That's not against the gospel. That's, that's just letting, we focus on the depth, God focus on the breadth. We even have some of you coming from Louisville, because the bridge opened up a new opportunity, and you find out, actually, we're closer than some of the churches in Louisville you were attending. However, we cannot be content to overlook the city in which most of us live. And this requires us to be proactive in using our gospel influence where God already has us, okay? In other words, we don't abandon what we're already doing to go reach somebody else. You keep doing it, you just add to it. So, for example, I want you to think about this. We have community groups all over southern Indiana, and actually one in Louisville. That just represents the reach of the gospel that we have here. And I want you to think of them as little mission outposts of the, the embassy, and then we got little outposts all over the place. Those are to be places where you invite neighbors and friends, and you use those as Easy access points. Yeah, they might not be able to or even want to travel to Oak Park, but they'd be willing to walk across the street or down the block. And then once you get them there and they build, build relationships, you share the gospel. If they're willing to stay, then you say, hey, we all go over to Oak Park. And then you, you bring them over. That, you bridge that gap. 
That's one way that we want to use community groups. That's why, hey, it's getting warm, community groups. Sorry, Gary, if I'm still in thunder. Have a cookout because you got new people moving in the area. Just say, hey, we're having cookout. You don't have to have a Bible study or anything. You can just say, hey, some of our friends are coming over. I'd love to have you. Now, they might not come, but that's not that hard. You start that relationship, they're going to find out you're Christians at that, at that study or that uh, cookout. And now they know. Some of you, I love to hear how you have little Bible studies in your workplace. Some of the Christians are gathered. That, that's a place you're, you're there. Invite someone. Hey, you want to come to a Bible study? We meet, I don't know when you all do, morning or afternoon. Come. Then there are the people you see at work or school. Be intentional. Just say, hey, I'd love to take our lunch break and I'd love to get to know you. Because here's the strategy on that. Ask them and listen. Just, hey, what brought you here? Are you from here? Did you grow up here? I ask that question all the time. You know why? Because they're going to ask me the same ones after I'm done. And then I get to tell them, and even though you're not a pastor, that's okay. You could say, yeah, me and my family came here, or I grew up here, and I'm a member of Oak Park Baptist Church. You know what's going to happen? They're probably going to look at you like, what? Or, oh, really, you go to church? I've had, I've had both experiences. Oh, you go to church? We're looking for a church. Or, oh, I haven't been to church in years. You, you just, and you go. You, you just listen. It's not rocket science. You might say, yeah, I felt that way too, or I grew up in the church, and I didn't understand this about what it was really about. And you can share the gospel by just telling how you came to faith in Christ. And you can be the preacher in that moment. If to live as Christ is true in your life, then they're going to find out when you just start talking. And that might be where you got to start. Now, here's where I think we, or I'm going to push us. That still just keeps us in the same people group. That's okay. We're there. I think that's good. We're, we're, that's just by nature. We don't even try. That's who comes to the doors of this church more than often. Just because of you doing that. And I'm asking us to do that all the more. But there are other people groups. There are other peoples that we need to be preaching the gospel to. So how do we get it to them? And, and this is going to take a little bit more effort on our part. This is going to require us to put ourselves in places where we don't naturally run. And here at Oak Park, this is where we collectively benefit each other. And what I want you to see, at least strategically, the main avenue by which we're trying to meet our, our reach our immediate neighborhood is through Wednesday night. Wednesday night is not dedicated to merely evangelism, but we recognize that through Awana and the dispersion, and now ESL is picking up this need in our neighborhood it is the best opportunity we have reaching the neighborhood immediately around us. And I want you to think about this. Through education and educating those who do not have, thinking about language education, ESL, Daniel um, Rodriguez, and then Joshua Page and Chris Tyler with our students and children, all we're doing is providing a safe place of education about the gospel for our neighborhood kids to come. And if you look at church history, how did the church often grow through educating the children? 
Now, that's not a quick and flashy, you're going to see it. But no, you're laying the, the seeds, you're, you're tilling that soil. And these kids are growing up and they're rubbing shoulders with at least some of us. So that when some of them come to faith in Christ at some point, and they're different, if you've been here, you know what? They're not coming in saying, I don't know anybody. And they come in and they feel comfortable because they kind of grew up here just on Wednesday. And this is where I want to ask us to pray that Wednesday, the people there will one day be here. And what's going to happen when that happens? Well, your greeters are going to look a little different. Your music leaders are going to look a little different. Your Sunday school teachers are going to look a little bit different. That's how the diversity changes. And some people think it goes the other way. Well, go fill in diversity, you'll reach them. Where are you going to get them unless you haven't reached them? It's a long-term plan. So we need administrators, we need teachers, mentors to give up, listen, Wednesday night. We need you. And you might not like kids. We'll keep you away from them because we don't want you with them. <laughs> but you can help in a variety of ways. You can help out with Daniel at ESL. Just be a greeter. Here's one way you can help moms and dads. I was, I was thinking about this Wednesday. I saw neighborhood parents staying around. They're there every week. I hadn't met them. So I went up and I said, hey, I see you all here every week. My name's Chase. How'd you all find about Awana. Well, what brought you here? And they said, well, Rodriguez is our, our uh, tenants, and they invited us. And I said, have you met any of the other ladies here? No. You know what my thought was? Why? Why haven't they met? They've been here every week. And it's not because you're keeping up with your kids. It's because you're, you, you just draw to yourself. And I don't think you mean to do it by any means. You're not purposely excluding. You're just not aware. And all it takes is for one of you to say, hey, I don't know you. Which one's one of your kids? Oh, there's mine. Yeah, they've got, your kid's got mine in a headlock. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, have you met these ladies? Have you met these fellas? Do you go to church anywhere? I mean, it's right here, low-hanging fruit. You just have to be there. And I know somebody, oh, yeah, I'm just so busy. Yeah, so is everybody who comes on Wednesday night. Everybody is busy and does not have the time. But thank God someone had the time for us. Time is flying. Goodness. Let me move on. In the fall, it's coming up. We minister to the Jeff High football team. That one's easy. There's kind of two areas you can help out with serving. Mary Wallace is just standout help for us there. Serving the, the meal that we prepare on Friday game days. So probably take some of you younger people, maybe college, maybe, well, not high school because you're in school. Well, I don't know. Maybe there is room for you. We need some people to come with Joshua and just preach. We get to preach, you know that? Come, hey, they sit, sit them and preach the gospel. And then come back and, and, and be there on Friday, if you can, and, and rub shoulders with them, build relationships with them. Many, many who are caught in systemic poverty in our, our city funnel through our jail system. And on the first Sunday of every month, Kyle Kingry organizes a group 
of men and women, and we go in and put a real basic church service together. I think, what, one or two hymns out of a hymnal at best? You don't even have to sing. You just say, amazing grace, let's do it. Amazing grace. I mean, I'm awful, but you can do it. And then we have a man or a woman, and they're separated. One preaches. And you could preach a full-fledged sermon like I'm doing, or you could just say, hey, I just want to share my, how I became a Christian. It's really open-ended. We go in there on the first Sunday of every month, and we had been praying that we'd been closed to open that door back up because we had been prevented from going in. Well, that door's been reopened. Come find Kyle Kingery if you want to be a part of that. There's another dimension to that. It's going to fit within certain seasons of life. Maybe some of you young people or those of you who are retired and don't have kids. The door is open to go with Toby Jenkins, pastor at First Baptist Henryville, who's the chaplain at the jail, and he would train you so that you would go into the pods and lead a weekly Bible study. And you can share the gospel with these brothers or sisters. And you know what? People are coming to faith in Christ. And when they get out, yeah, that's when the work starts, because they're different. And they're going to need a Barnabas. They're going to need someone who's a great encourager, who's going to bring them in, because you know what? When they walk in that door, they know they aren't like us. Because they're going to have tattoos on their neck, they're going to have meth mouth, they're going to have an ankle bracelet. They're not going to be educated often. And the moment they walk in this door, they're going to say, well, you're not going to want me here. And that can't be. That's where we love indeed. And we know we're, we're expecting that to happen. And we say, hey, my name is Chase. What's your name? What you doing after church? Me and my family go to Zaxby's. I'd be happy to, to have you come along. I'll get it. Another way we seek to reach the poor and those caught in sin is through Choices Resource Center. Often it's, it's mothers who have expecting and they don't have the money and they don't have a daddy often to help them through this and the world is telling them well this is the way out come down to Louisville and we'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll abort that child and you won't have to worry about this but the mission there is no let's, let's bring this child into the blessing of life let's come to Jesus and we'll plug you in a church where we'll help you raise that child but you do understand that when that mother comes in who's probably lower income and different than you, not always, but usually, you're going to have to go initiate. She's not going to initiate with you because she doesn't feel like she's coming in with shame. And the gospel message with the beautiful feet by which we bring is, if you believe on him, you will not be put to shame. And we have to communicate that. And it's going to take some of us to just say, hey, come over here, let me introduce you to my friends. And build a relationship. And it's not just for women, sometimes the boyfriends are there too. And we need husbands, we need dads to go in there and say, hey, you can do this. Here's how you do it. And walk with them. Low-hanging fruit. Another outlet to push us into foreign territories, our partnership with Southern Indiana Rescue Mission. I forgot what the name change is, David or, or uh, Corey, but uh, we'll figure that out. But right now, I think that's what it is. Hopefully I wasn't supposed to say that either. <laughs> um, 
Here the homeless are coming and seeking material needs, job training, and other forms of rehabilitation. Would you be willing to volunteer once a week and teach a job for life program? Would you be willing to go and and teach a Bible study? Would you be willing to volunteer in other ways? What that will do is get you rubbing shoulders with people who aren't like you. You'll start having a burden for them. You'll get better how to interact with people who aren't like you so that you could be better suited to teach others here how to do that and that we can be a place that welcomes all different types of people. Domestically and globally, let me just quickly run through these. Domestically, we're thinking Annie Armstrong, missions offering. This is where we partner in with the Southern Baptist Convention to plant new works, new works of evangelism by planting churches where preachers and a team are, are sent out to new works and start them from the ground up. And yeah, it starts off knocking on doors. Talk to Shay. He can tell you all about it. And Allison. And then you got a lighthouse. And now you, you, you open up new territory. But we want to partner with that. And that's where we give our money there. We have several of those in our own area. Shay Allen, Patrick Lynch, in particular, I think of Brad Walker in Jeffersonville. We even have some who have left here and ultimately planted. Jonathan Woodyard in Minnesota. At our last family business meeting, Pastor Joshua shared how he has started a new degree at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, doing seminary, formal education, but this has a, a particular emphasis in church planting. And we'll see where this leads, but at the end, like, you're, you're, you're partnered up with the North American Mission Board, and you plant. That, that's, uh, it's contingent on graduation, so I guess it's happening. Or he's got to change the programs. But we're going to need a team of 8 to 10 to say we're willing to go. We don't know where a go is. But down over the next couple of years, we're going to start thinking like that. And that means you're going to have to sacrifice the blessings of an established work to start a new one. And there are many blessings that we have. Then globally, we want to be sending preachers, evangelists, missionaries all over the world to establish churches where none exist and to strengthen weak churches where they do exist. And we do that through the IMB. And this July, I already kind of mentioned, Caitlin Schrock is going to be going to the Arabic-speaking world for two years on a journeyman program. It's basically a long-term intensive internship, right? But with the heart of, boom, getting there, getting acclimated, and then going full-time. And what's that going to require of us? Yes, to keep praying for her, keeping her updated before us, but also what we hope to do is send at least a yearly team. And what might that look like? Just hanging out with her because she's going to be lonely and supporting the work that she's doing. That's what short-term missions often is, is just supporting the people who are actually doing the work. We also do this through our partnership with the Haiti Collective. We're going over, so if you're wondering, just we're going over today. <laughs> Lunch will be there. We also do this through our partnership with the Haiti Collective and working to strengthen the local church we've been partnered with in Laestere. 
And over the past five years, we've seen several teams go down and minister. This year, Kyle Kingry is going to be leading a team. I think of eight or nine that are going down. But here's a new opportunity that we have for long-term mission down there. A new opportunity for equipping the saints there and strengthening the church. Pastor Joseph's son, Odadson, actually lives in Cape Coral, Florida, where he's going to high school, and he desires to go to ministry, receive seminary education, and then go serve alongside his father. Now, just because he lives in America doesn't mean he has the same opportunities you and I do. And so we're exploring right now what would it look like to bring him here for five to six years so that we could send him out. And you know what? Oak Park's not going to receive any long-term direct benefit. It's all given. Now, we would get benefit of a a brother who's different than us, a Haitian brother who probably will open up doors that that we can't open here but serving. But by and large, this is going to be a one-way investment if we were to do that. And that looks like probably thinking through tuition assistance, finding him transportation, and housing. Sacrifice, right? I want to direct your attention to one thing, and then we're going to close. And out in the lobby, I talked about mission. Maybe you've seen these little cards out there. Everything I've said is summarized on the back. So in case you don't take notes or you forgot it all, it's right here. Or who do I talk to? I want to get involved in that. Has the email. You just email or you go to the website, get more information, and you'll get directed to the right person. My question for you is, what's going to change today? What's going to be different? And maybe it's just, I'm I'm, I'm going to actually start praying. And by that, I mean really pray. And let the word do its work in your life. We're now going to transition to our closing song, and at this time we're going to collect our Annie Armstrong offering. We've got these baskets on either side. And this is just one way by which we support the, the message of the gospel going out, and you heard it through Shea. The Shea is just a small example, not in stature but a small example of God's work going out. And our goal is 13000 I know some of you already begun to give, but this is that time by which we're going to bring our offerings, and I pray that this might not just be a time about dropping a check in into the basket, but it also be representative of some of us praying as we walk up, it's time for me to go in whatever way that looks, whether it's I go home to lead my family and teach my kids the gospel in a way I've never done it, or to my neighbor, or to one of the ministries here at the church, or maybe it looks like I'm preparing to go somewhere else, and we'd love to talk to you about that. So why don't you stand?